1: all right guys welcome back to Conspiranormal. normal it's your host adam and surfiel
2: just uh dodging bullets in parking lots and <laughs> yes another yes. day Conspiracy normal
1: it's another exciting day at the Conspiracy normal headquarters here in the suburbs and uh we have taylor bell on the line taylor welcome to Conspiracy normal hey how's it going good man good uh we uh we're talking just a little bit before we got started uh we were talking a little bit about uh your green lion publishing and uh the green lion podcast that you do and we'll get a, we'll kind of get into that as uh as the podcast goes on but uh you uh you're kind of new on the scene just a little bit uh, <laughs> yep i think you've been on uh an episode of where did the road go i think with uh with Rin. Not that long ago, you have your own like uh, tarot deck, and we're going to talk a little bit about sigils tonight as well. So, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, and you're also a patron, which it's we true. appreciate. Yeah, everyone should be. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> we, we we really appreciate that, Taylor,
2: fellow conspiranormalist. Right, yeah.
3: exactly. Yeah,
1: get to get to the top rung, get to where all the secrets all the secrets are.
3: Yeah, here. So. If I keep paying in the money, uh, more secrets come my way. So yeah,
1: well, you never I'm know. Very excited. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about you, buddy. Let's talk about uh, kind of how you got into the stuff that you're that you're into, uh, which is kind of the same uh, general kind of Fortiana mysterious kind of stuff. But you're a little more kind of like on the magical side, I think, that we are.
3: So I'm into pretty much all of it, um, but yes, I, I do. Uh, I guess what I call ceremonial magic, but it's sort of a hodgepodge collection of various practices I've picked up along the way. Things I've kind of you know made up and uh, reinventing the wheel, I guess. Um, a lot of it's, um, I think the word I used to describe it was ad hoc. Uh, a lot of people that are into ceremonial magic uh, are very particular about like the way that you do things, making sure that you're using the right equipment, you're you know saying the right things, all that kind of stuff. I disagree with a lot of those perspectives uh, respectfully. I think that those, those ways of doing things absolutely work. Um, But I don't think they're the only things that work. And I think that what we can do when it comes to magical practices, sort of find out what it is that's actually causing these, these things to work and then build off of that. And and by the way, having these things work is sort of a, a very big assumption that I think I kind of just take for granted. Um, but I don't know. You guys have experience with any kind of magic or ceremonial stuff?
2: Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. Um, you're basically saying that you've just, you found a lot of these things that, that resonate with you personally, though you don't have to uh, stick to any particular traditional system or something. You almost have like a, a chaos magic approach, but you are interested in a lot of these more traditional frameworks
3: yeah yep pretty much uh exactly was
1: there a way that you kind of got into doing it so it was like it's kind of like, like a, what was your kind of like your
3: your first intro to to some of this material um so i was working at a pharmaceutical place at the time uh listening to a bunch of different podcasts and just kind of like learning stuff you know taking notes reading books on um, that kind of thing and at the time i was very um for many years I had been very kind of like on the side of materialism and atheism and very practical uh, approaches to this sort of stuff. Uh, I wasn't really interested in anything metaphysical or, you know, quote unquote magical or paranormal at all until I found some podcasts that were um, showing some very interesting anecdotes and stories by people who had tried various things and had had uh, a lot of success. And I, I don't know, are either of you guys familiar with Aaron David, the charm the water podcast?
1: Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know Aaron.
3: Yeah. So I heard, um, about his podcast through some other podcast. I mean, did you ever have him advertise on here?
2: I think a long
1: time ago you did.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's been on, he was on Expernable a couple of times. Either way. He, uh, I heard his advertisement on some other podcast and found his and, um, Uh, was very interested in kind of his personal approach to doing this kind of like journaling uh, throughout the process of what he refers to as magical initiations. And he was working a system called uh, the Trithemian Art of Drawing Spirits into Crystals. Mm -hmm. Um, I've come to learn after the fact that that system is sort of a amalgamation of a few different things, uh, and it's been changed over time. And the version he was using was not really the quote-unquote original version. And um, what he was actually working was material from a book called Seven Spheres uh, by Rufus Opus, who's... Right, right. Uh, yeah, actually, he used to be part of the OTO here in Minneapolis. I don't think he is anymore. But um, anyway, I at some point, was listening to that podcast and Aaron put out this call for anybody who was interested in participating in uh, a lunar initiation uh, into the Kabbalistic sphere of Yesod. And that sounded cool. I'd never done anything like that before. I was very uncertain about it, but I I wanted to know more. So reached out to him, uh, got in touch. Uh, That's how I actually met Ren and a couple of those other guys. um, Got on their Slack channel, I think it was. And we just, we talked about, the preparations for this this working and I still wasn't really sure if I wanted to do it or not but I got a hold of the materials um to be able to in case I decided to but before I did before I decided to I was at work one day and it was actually the day that the book arrived the seven spheres and I was fired from my job out of the blue um one of the reasons I had not committed to doing this ritual is because I was I was under the impression that people who start doing that kind of stuff um, may lose their job or may lose their relationships or their house or their car or whatever the case is. Uh, Aaron had a couple of very violent um, instances. Uh, I think he ended up losing a Dodge Challenger and sort of blamed it on his Mars initiation. But Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, remember, so, I
1: remember him talking about that, and come to think of it, yeah, he did advertising here. We used to do cross advertisements. Yeah, that's it's so okay. long ago that I'm like,
3: <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought yeah. it was conspiracy normal yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. He's actually uh, doing the show again now. Yeah, I haven't heard I haven't heard from him in a while. So, mm-hmm. um, so this this so I <laughs> sorry so I got fired from this job and uh, drove home kind of in, in you know, in tears. Um, and I sort of made up my mind during the drive home that I wanted to try this initiation because screw it, what do I have left to lose? I've already lost the job. Let's just do it. And uh, I, I drive home, I get to my house and the book is is kind of there waiting for me. And that was sort of the... Introduction, I guess the the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge to start trying things. Um, I did the initiation uh, a few days later, and I ended up um, landing uh, sort of a dream job, pretty much right after that. That I I sort of it was a lot of very coincidental, I guess what you'd call synchronistic sort of um, situations that led up to me working at this bookstore, Eye of Horus. Uh and that's in minneapolis in in uptown excuse me um so from there, I kind of just experimented with different things i I did more of the seven spheres rituals uh I started playing with them, rewriting them. I actually met Rufus, and he basically told me uh th- i think his exact words were uh throw out all that jesus crap um so i <laughs> I started kind of rewriting things uh to my own sort of liking and Came up with a few different structures that I liked. Uh, I threw all those out eventually and started again. But yeah, I guess just sort of seeing what works. You know, practicing with different things, um, practicing with you know different intentions, different uh, ingredients for incense, uh, times of of the day, you know, planetary hours, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, what did he mean by throw out all that Jesus crap? The Scripts that are in the book um, call on Jesus a lot. So like almost every section of the invocation um, says stuff about our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of Amen. There's a lot of God the Father. There's a lot of like very Christian oriented language. And he put it in there, I believe, because that was sort of the material he got from, I think Barrett's the Magus, but I I don't know 100% where he got it from. Uh, and ultimately what he said is it doesn't really matter. None of the language really matters that much. What matters is things like the intention, the, you know, the, the structure to what you're doing, you know, it's the, it's the actual like performance and the communication that you're laying down with that performance that, that really is meaningful. Right.
1: Okay. Um, I can tell you just from my own personal experience, the only thing I've ever done, you may have heard me talk about this was actually with Ren when I was in Atlanta uh hmm. we did what was it an angel summoning ritual you know i don't I sense. don't consider myself an occultist at all uh I've been accused of it, but uh <laughs> I actually just you know it was actually something that it was just kind of more like well, it was the end of kind of the end of the paramania thing that we were doing down there in Atlanta, and it was just like well, I'll check it out I'll see what what the hype is about. And I, and I can tell you that you know it was an interesting experience there was definitely an electricity in the air uh there was definitely kind of something that was uh that was that was going on there and it also started like thundering and lightning right in the middle of it too so oh nice you know so it definitely had a, like a definite uh, cool effect to it but uh I you know I don't know quite no quite know what to make of it I did start after that to start to have some really weird synchronistic things happening in my life. Hmm. So interesting. um, It kind of started a whole big ball rolling for me. So, you know, 2019 was an interesting year. I'll just put it that way. Do you happen
3: to remember what angel it was? Gabriel? Okay. All right. That kind of explains the rain. Then Um, Gabriel's the angel of, uh, well, associated with water
1: yeah interesting I, mean, I don't know if I can't remember if Ren said that to us or not uh, afterwards but uh, <laughs> yeah um, I can only imagine what the people in the next hotel room thought was going on I, I oh yeah for sure they were probably a little freaked out because this was about 2 2.30 in the morning <laughs> <laughs> that this was going on
3: Yeah. I'm always really nervous and like self-conscious if there's, you know, people around or if I'm doing something in a public space. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's natural um, because, you know, people just don't, they don't understand what, what it is and they don't, they don't really get it, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's natural, especially in this country. I think it's natural to feel a little, a little trepidatious about it.
3: Yep. And, And over time, I think the stuff that I do has become a lot less ceremonial. And a lot more, kind of organic. Um, so it's I, I I feel less dubious about it. I feel less nervous and and stuff about the the things I'm doing because they're a lot less visible to the outside world. Um, they still seem to work. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, you touched on something interesting too, as far as um, with the traditional ceremonial systems, just like anything else, the uh, quest for purity is often kind of dubious because at the end of the day you're going to find some kind of amalgamation. You're going to find some kind of roots uh, that are syncretic in some kind of way or from borrowing from previous systems. Um, It's really impossible to find uh, some kind of pure perennial system.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where Sort of doing that dialectical dissection uh, can help us get a little closer to um, what that might look like. But at the end of the day, no matter what we do, no matter what kind of distillation we're going to try to pull out of history or pull out of, you know, practical workings, we're still left with something that was created by human hands, something that is never going to be quote unquote pure, right? And that's, I think, sort of the point, right? Like magic is a very human thing. So I think it's, it's natural to, um, have a lot of different faces to it, you know, and there's a, I don't know exactly, um, you know, you mentioned the word perennial that reminds me of uh, Aldous Huxley's perennial philosophy, which I think boils back down to a lot of like the commonalities in religion. Right. And I think there are in general, a lot of spiritual common grounds that we can sort of, um, you know rest back on but at the end of the day they're not there's nothing that that's really definitive at least nothing that we know of you know in in our history or um you know anything yet i guess right like maybe maybe one day somebody'll uncover something super super ancient and it turns out like everything's based on that or whatever but i think even then it'll still have been created by humans
2: right but to but to cloak it in that um garb probably does a lot to to charge things like if you're like oh yeah i just made this up it's probably gonna have a lot less of an effect than if you create a mythology around it and uh you know make make people feel like they're participating in some unbroken ancient right you know
3: yeah i think that's a really good point i mean it, it definitely seems that an aspect of what makes this stuff work really is belief and is confidence and sort of that you know um Adam, you mentioned that sort of electricity in the air, right? Like that—that that feeling, you know. And when you're doing something that you you know you know is just made up on the spot or whatever, sometimes it doesn't really have that. But also sometimes it does, you know. And it really depends on who's involved and what you're doing, and you know what kind of spirit you're bringing to it.
1: Yeah, I could tell that like there's there was a there was a weird kind of chicken and egg kind of thing to it because I wondered to myself. Am I really getting some kind of, is there really a spiritual presence in the room, or is it more of a a combination of all everybody's kind of like collective energies? Because there were at least about 10 of us in that room.
3: Well, what's your gut tell
1: you? I almost think that's like almost a little bit of both. I, I think maybe yeah. our collective energies could probably, you know, for lack of a better term, conjure something up. Uh, that's That's kind of sure. how I feel. Uh, about what happened um
3: yeah i don't see anything just
1: there was a lot of intention in that room that night sounds (laughs) like the chicken and the egg yeah yeah something like that (laughs) there you go so let's talk about this symbolism that you have here i mean on your website uh the podcast you call both uh the green lion so what's the symbolism of the green lion what does that mean to you
3: Sure. So the green lion is a symbol that pops up again and again in alchemy. Um, I think my first introduction to it was Robert Place's Alchemical Tarot, uh, which is a really, really good tarot deck for anyone that's out there looking for new tarot decks. Um, That's a good one. And the green lion was on his strength card. And the way that I encountered it was through understanding what the symbol that's on the card meant because I was, I was getting really into sigils and I looked it up and it just said the green lion. I'm like, okay, well, what is that? What is the green lion? So I did some Googling and I discovered it's, it's often a green lion, right? It's exactly how it sounds is a lion, but it's green and it's eating the sun. That's kind of the other big key component of that symbol. And that's a very funny symbol, right? Like, <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't Mm -hmm. make a whole lot of sense. You know I mean? There's yes, lions are, you know, you could think of them as solar, right? They've got the big mane and, and Leo is, is ruled by the sun, but, um, it's a strange symbol, especially eating or like biting the sun, you know, and causing the sun to bleed. Like that doesn't really make much sense. Um, so I, I did a little more research into it and I discovered that it's, it's almost entirely allegorical, you know, it's the idea of. Breaking down a substance through the use of kind of like vitriolic acidity and um, destructive forces, right? To take something and uh, and extract its pure essence, right? Extract its, you know, to, to make it bleed, to um, to turn that into gold, you know, to to um, make something better from from something you have. So it's really, in a lot of ways, the process of, of alchemical transmutation itself.
1: Right, interesting.
3: Yeah, so I, I chose that just because I like. I mean, I'm a Leo, um, and I just like. Same here. That symbol, nice. That's yeah, a. It's a good sign to be. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Greenline Publishing, uh, was going to be a lot more than it is currently. Maybe one day it'll be something. Uh, but right now it's more or less a URL. Um, the original idea was to publish a sort of a a quarterly journal. Uh, it's called the hidden stone Uh, that would be sort of a, um, esoteric take on a variety of different topics, kind of what I'm hoping to do with the podcast, but in a written form and in like this, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the older, um, you know, um, occult magazines and journals and and like the really kind of higher quality ones like starfire publishing and um some of the stuff that like three hands press has put out and, and like um that type of stuff but we don't see a whole lot of that anymore and i kind of wanted to bring it back uh, unfortunately starting a publishing company uh takes a lot of time and a lot of money you know i'm I'm a graphic designer, so I always get caught up in, like, what is the thing going to look like? What's it called? What's, you know, what's what's the logo for it? What's the cover look like? But I don't have the means to actually make it a thing right now. So I started a podcast.
1: So you kind of talked about a little bit in your first episode, just about, like, how you, what your ideas and your thoughts about it and um, what you kind of wanted to achieve with it. And then in the second episode, you talked a lot about like like the concept of mystery, yeah, and kind of like how you felt that you know some mysteries um, don't really need to be solved. And you 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 talked a little bit about like uh, Twin Peaks, <laughs> yep, which uh, Serfiel still beats me up because I've never watched Twin Peaks, but you've uh, never seen it. Both of you, you really, guys have.
3: You I really shouldn't admit it. that. Oh of- man, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> it's so good though. That's okay.
1: But but you talk about how the, the actual solving of the case in the in Twin Peaks actually hurt the show.
3: Yep. Yep. And basically, what happened there was um, <laughs> the the whole impetus for the show was the mystery who killed Laura Palmer, right? And as soon as ABC kind of required them to solve that, required them to give closure to the audience, they. Gave the network what they wanted, and it ultimately ruined the show. I actually I, I rewatched that show a lot, and I just rewatched it with my roommate. Um, we just finished season two, and man, the second half of that season is such a slog. It's I love that show. Don't get me wrong; it's my favorite TV show, but it is difficult to watch at that after after like episode ten. It's just just difficult. But um,
1: yeah. Because that's the episode that it was solved. I guess uh, a little bit
3: after, yeah. It's basically they, yeah, there. Okay. There's a big reveal um, of who the killer was, and then there's some kind of like um, falling action, and then closure, conclusion, and then after that, the the show just kind of spirals into a parody of what the new show writers thought it was supposed to be, and it it just becomes a caricature of all the things that that like people. Um, kind of assumed about it rather than actually becoming the spirit of the show as it was, um, rather than starting up a new real mystery, they decided to sort of like play off the idea of tropes and the idea of, um, honestly, like a Scooby-Doo villain that it's just a very different show. But season three comes back with a whole new mystery, you know, 27 years later, um, basically the the end of season two introduces a huge cliffhanger that was just never addressed and 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 finally in I think 2017 it was uh, they they released the return which is you know season three of the show and it continues pretty much where the second season left off with uh, this beautiful um, enthralling mystery that, that really like, you know, it pulls a lot of these kind of occult and like esoteric themes, like back into the show in a way that keeps people engaged and keeps people guessing and wondering and, and trying to solve it. Cause it's clear that it's not just being weird to be weird. It's being weird because there's like a hidden message that's going on deep underneath it. And I love it. I can sit here and tell you to watch the show all day long, but that's not really going to matter, you know?
2: Going back to uh, magic, you know, you talk a lot about what um, you're interested in, what works and kind of the mechanism to how things work. And you've got one of your blogs is actually, um, how does magic work?
3: I think the most important thing about that blog post is in the title, the word how is in parentheses. And the, you know, the, the, the question there is both how does magic work, but also does magic work, Right. Is this something that actually has effects? Is this something that that does something in our lives? And it's a very difficult question to kind of try to answer because anybody coming at it is ultimately going to come at it from a, a biased perspective. Whether you you know are in the camp I'm in, I guess, and, and believe that it does work, or you're in uh you know an opposite camp that's convinced that it doesn't work or it's not real. Like you're convinced that Psy isn't real for some reason, um, or you know, even if you're you're coming at it from just not knowing anything about it, typically you've at least heard the word magic, and that you know that kind of builds in this sort of preconceived notion about what that is. You know, even if it's just like Harry Potter magic that you think of or something like that. So, I guess to answer your question, what what is it about magic that makes it work, or what is it that um, What's going on there? I don't know. Um, I I think it boils down to intention combined with um, spirit in some way. And and that's kind of a vague word to use, but meaning both the sort of spirit, the sulfuric like energy that you bring to a working that you're doing, uh, but also, you know, the actual spirits that you're communicating with, whatever those are. Um, even if it's just yourself, even if it's just your imagination, um, you know, as well as the, not necessarily like the karma of it or the, the, the moral point of it, but like the reason, like right. Like the reason you're doing it. Um, for instance, one of the ways we see magic often fail and not just magic, but other things, you know, um, Psychic phenomena tends to fail in this situation too. Is when you're doing it for the purpose of proving that it exists. When you're trying to do it in a lab environment, it often breaks down. And I, I think it's Jeffrey Kripal um, has said something along the lines of um, the paranormal happens for a reason in people's lives. It it doesn't it doesn't just happen because we want it to happen, right? I think magic is very much the same way. Does that answer your question at all?
2: Yeah, yeah, like it it has to um, it has to align with I guess in uh, the best way to say it is with uh, your true will, right?
3: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. Um, whatever the hell that means. Right, right. Yeah, I don't I don't know what makes it work. I like I couldn't tell you, "Oh, okay, you need to have a circle and you need to have an incense burner or you need to wear this robe or do it on this day or whatever the, you know, very specific elements of it are. I think none of that stuff really matters to me so much as the, um, the kind of wish of it. It's it's sort of a weird way to put it, but if you're out there, somebody who's listening to this and is interested in trying to figure out for yourself, whether magic works or how magic works, I would just encourage you to try something. You know, there's a million different things you can try. um, A lot of which are very innocuous, you know, very basic, very simple things. um, And a lot of which are completely life-changing, like trying to do some kind of a planetary initiation and uh, jump in the deep end, I guess, or, you know, demonic summoning, if that's what you're into.
2: Well, I like what you alluded to also, as far as uh, what is magic and that, it seems like the the more i get into a lot of these topics the more i actually think i'm getting to understand them the the definition of what they actually are uh becomes a lot different and i get a lot more of an expansive definition of what what magic actually is it's not just necessarily doing mm-hmm. rituals and and you know changing reality to your will, things like that. But there's a, there's a lot of other stuff going on.
3: Yes. Yeah. And I've got a good friend, um, who equates magic to hacking. Uh, he's a, he's in info security and kind of looks at the world through those lenses. Um, and in, in terms of, you know, hacking as, as a verb, he, he looks at it as a way to change our world. Um, in a million different ways, right? There's, there's a myriad of tool sets and techniques and approaches that you can use because hacking isn't just one thing, right? It's not just breaking into servers. It's also modifying software and, you know, reverse engineering things and whatever else, right? It's, it's all of these things. And I think magic is all of those things too. It's, you know, it's working with roots and herbs. It's, Spells, it's wishes and prayers, but it's also ceremony and spiritual conjurations, and you know, and I think a lot more mundane things that people don't really even think of being magical, right? Um, trying to think of a specific example,
2: and those are often the things that that have the the larger influence in the world than just you know someone alone in their room doing incantations,
3: right? Uh, so one thing I think. I'm going to steal this from John Tenney. Uh, I think it was Tenney. He he talks about um, basically sports fans growing their beards out when a team is on a winning streak to kind of help keep that going, right? That that's that's magical. That's exactly what that is. You know, and if it works or not, I don't know. That's, that's a different question. That's a very different kind of problem. Right.
1: It has, again, that could be something that goes into – keeping that energy up and everybody just engaging and oh that's the cool uh team ethic of let's uh grow everybody grow their beards out i mean that could just increase maybe the feelings that they have and then they are able to uh keep that winning streak going you know
3: yeah it could be feeding that egregore right, or that right
1: exactly Um, To kind of turn a little bit, I want to turn a little bit back to to that mystery concept, though, because I like what you said in that for a lot of the materials that we talk about, or our show and uh, where the road go and your show now, I mean, it seems that, you know, when people, I know that there's a lot of people that want to try to solve this thing or they want to try to solve that thing in in the paranormal. And I feel like with the paranormal and I guess the fourteen material, that the mystery is really what keeps it going.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I was just listening to your guys' um, most recent episode with uh, I think his name's Chris Corey. Chris Corey, yeah. And you guys were talking a lot about the at the at the beginning at least with um talking about Timothy Green Beckley, talking about the sort of mystique of that kind of um, punk old school UFO um aesthetic as opposed to the very modern, very sanitized um, let's figure out exactly what it is and how it ticks approach, right Right. And I think that's that that plays into that idea of the mystery kind of feeding that excitement and, and keeping that thing alive. And that's why I think that's why there is so much mystery with this stuff. It's because it's not really supposed to be answered. It's supposed to be chased
2: right and and like that that aesthetic resonates with us because of um because of our age and our surroundings and our experiences, and just in the same way that maybe like the some of the the aesthetic and symbolism of these traditional magic schools like resonate with you,
3: some of them <laughs> yeah, I totally see what you're saying,
2: <laughs> but yeah, like for me personally like a lot of the, the traditional magic mm-hmm. stuff does not resonate with me at all, but something like reading a, eighties weird ex extremist uh, magazine or something, you know, it would like, it puts me in like a weird altered state reality tunnel. That's, that's, that does like way more for me than like, than something like a, a some kind of magical grimoire.
3: Right, and is that because it is sort of fueling that that want to chase uh, that mystery and find out what you know what is it? Is this true? Is it you know that kind of thing, or what? What is that about that 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 really um, gets you going in that way?
1: Right, I, I think especially with some of the paranormal stuff. I mean, I have a I have I know someone that um, has made it their goal to try to solve the ghosts and try to like prove that it's that it's real and all this kind of thing and oh no I've had a friendly friendly argument with him for a long time that just like look the the best thing about it is the mystery that we don't yeah. know is the best thing about it and it's just like if you're trying to solve it first of all science is never going to take you seriously second yeah. of all you know a lot of people don't want this solved Like, you might solve it in your mind, but to a lot of other people, it's never going to be something that's solved. And it's like, to me, that that takes the fun out of it. Um, You know, and also, too, some of these other mystery mystery things, like like a D.B. Cooper or that type of thing. I mean, do we really want that solved? Do we really want to know who that is? Because that case in and of itself i mean that kind of takes on the whole like idea of a folk hero you know this mysterious folk hero and it's got a mid and black vibe to it too that i love but
3: um yeah and twin peaks influence or it influenced twin peaks so
1: i've heard yeah so
3: i've heard <laughs> yeah no i i think that trying to come to a conclusion like that is it's something that i think it's natural you know, right. I, I think when we're dealing with something that's very unknown, like any of this stuff, the, the impetus is to say, well, okay, how does this work? How can I put it into a box? How can I explain it, you know, um, tie it up nicely with a bow? But when you try to do that, you know, we can look back into history of, of various people trying to do that over and over again with all kinds of different subjects, and there's never there's never a good answer even when it comes to mainstream science you know even when we're talking about you know classical physics or um, you know even even quantum physics and quantum mechanics we don't understand it we don't we don't know how this stuff works to at we have we have theories and models we build those theories and models up but then we break them down and that's kind of the point of science right it's it's always breaking down our assumptions rather than trying to actually like solve something permanently and say this is what it is definitively 100% case closed let's move on
1: right that's an extremely good point it's like everything most everything is really just like kind of in flux most of the time
3: yeah Yeah. absolutely and i think and i could be wrong i think it changes i think that it literally changes based on how we are interacting with it right you know what i mean Like the paranormal changes, the way that, the way that alien encounters have been seen over time changes every single time somebody sees an alien or a UFO for that matter, you know, whether those two things are related or not, the, the face of it, the mechanics of it are changing constantly. And I don't know why. I mean, I have no answers, but it's interesting to look into. It's interesting to try to figure out and, you know, that, that trying to figure out, right. that's that's how we chase the mystery. You know, your your friend who wants to really, like, solve this and, and make it definitive, I think that that can be admirable, right? Because that's kind of how you engage with the mystery. Sure. But, you know, the fact yeah. of the matter is we kind of have to recognize that we might never get there. And, and we have to be okay with that.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I totally, I totally completely agree with that.
3: Yeah, me too. I, I've recently come to grips with it.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, I think when I was younger, I was probably like, "Oh, I'd love to solve this and know definitively." But as I get older, it's like I'm just kind of like, "Man, I don't know shit. I don't know what the hell's yep. going on." I'm just like, "Whatever."
2: So you said that was kind of your your background was more materialist. How did how did how did that first start breaking apart?
3: Away from materialism, or away from religion, and towards materialism?
2: Away from materialism.
3: Okay. Um,
2: so were you originally traditionally religious and then, and then you became atheistic and now you're into the occult?
3: Yes. Yeah. I was raised Catholic, um, by a technicality. (laughs) My, uh, my sister and I have different dads and, um, she's from my mom's first marriage. And part of their divorce was that, my mom agreed to raise my sister in the Catholic church. And as part of that agreement, I got raised in the Catholic church. So by the time I was 12 and my sister had gone through confirmation and was done, my parents said, look, you don't need to keep going if you don't want to. And I said, you know what? I don't want to, because I was just kind of coming to grips with the idea that I'm not straight. Um, I'm pansexual. And that was kind of a big no, no, when it comes to the church, right. Being anything that wasn't straight. Um, so I started questioning the church and I started questioning religion in general and my beliefs in God and my, my understanding of how the world works. And I leaned very heavily towards, um, kind of like structured atheism, Mm -hmm. um, started listening to a lot of atheist podcasts, that kind of thing. And, uh, by the time I was in college, um, I had sort of heard about some of this stuff, some of the paranormal stuff. I always kind of like joked about it and laughed about it because, you know, I, I, I quote unquote knew that it was impossible. Right. And, uh, then a friend of mine died. So when I was, uh, sophomore in college, a very good friend of mine passed away. Um, it was a very sudden thing. Nobody really saw coming and, that experience shook up my world quite a lot. Um, one of the ways that it shook up my world was I was sort of desperate for closure. I was desperate for uh, communication with, with my friend. Um, I should also preface this by saying my whole life, my mom has basically told me that she's a psychic and can communicate with spirits. Okay. Um, in that middle period, I was very much... Uh, a disbeliever of a lot of that and didn't, you know, didn't take it seriously, basically thought my mom was crazy, um, etc Since then, I, I've got a very different perspective on that. And part of that is because of the death of my friend. So two, two kind of major things happened. Um, the first thing was um, I came back down to my hometown to uh, go to his funeral and my mom gave me this letter that she had written, um, that was from Dan ostensibly. Right. It was, it was, it was a letter, um, that he he, sort of like his final thoughts to me in a way. And I didn't know how to take this at the time. I, I, I thought perhaps she was making it up, but I didn't know how to figure out how she could have known that my friend died. She basically, what she said is that night Um, she was woken up by this spirit in her room of this, you know, young boy, college age boy, um, who was saying all this stuff and was like talking a million miles a minute. So she asked him to slow down and she wrote down what he was saying and and found out very quickly that it was kind of directed at me. And then she gave me this letter, um, like two days later or whatever, whenever I showed up and it was, it was very touching. Um, I was very confused. I was very, very confused about, you know is my mom making this up? Is, is this real? You know, like what's the deal here? The second major thing was that I decided to try to reach out to his spirit myself and communicate. I was doing some meditation, I guess you'd say. I was laying down, just sort of um, going to this place in my mind, you know, kind of traveling to uh, a location that I go back to a lot. It's, it's like a little scene in the woods and I decided to reach out to where I figured he might be, you know, in this, in this letter that my mom had written, there was a very kind of like, um, sharp description of a place, um, some rocks by a river and, uh, fishing. My, my buddy liked to fish. Um, one of the many details my mom had no way of knowing. (laughs) So anyway, um, I went there in my mind and I encountered him and I just started smiling. You know, I, I felt like I encountered him. I didn't know what to think at the time because again, at this time and, and for years to come, I still didn't believe in any of this stuff. I was still very, I was taking all of it with a grain of salt. And I asked him all these questions, you know, in my mind. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what they were, but all kinds of stuff. And every time I would, I would ask a question or talk to him, I would get these responses that were so fast, like lightning fast, like before I could even turn my question into words, I would be hearing a response and I wasn't hearing these responses in words. I was, I was, I was picking them up like feelings, like emotions, and I had to say, like, slow down. Like, this is this is too much. Like, what the hell? You know, why? What? What is going on with this communication? And he basically explained, again in my head, that time isn't really the same thing there, wherever he is. You know, in the, whatever the afterlife or whatever it is, time's not the same, and communication only exists the way that it exists in our world because of things like time, because we need to communicate um physically right like using our, our mouths and our ears and, and or our hands or whatever it is um but wherever he was communication could happen emotively and instantaneously and that's what was happening and i was picking it up but i was i was bewildered by it um so anyway th- this went on for i think maybe a half an hour or so um talked asked more questions said a bunch of stuff Um, got some vague answers, got some specific answers. And by the end of it, I asked kind of one final thing. I said, um, is this real? And I I got very loud and clear. Yes, this is real. And then I asked, is this all in my head? And I got very loud and clear. Yes, this is all in your head. Hmm. And that didn't make any sense to me for many years until I read Lon Milo Duquette's Um, chicken Kabbalah. And the thing that he hammers away over and over again in that book is it's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. To answer your question, I think that's really what kind of broke things open for me.
2: By that time, you had already kind of shed the traditional religious dogma, but you were again open to a spiritual world.
3: I wasn't quite open to a spiritual world. I was very, very anti-religious at that time. Um, I was very against religion and religious people. And I was, um, very dubious of spiritual people. Uh, and sort of the only reason that I, I leaned this way at this moment to try to reach out to Dan was because of my desperation, because it was so sudden the way that he died. Um, It was, it was so sudden and there was no, I didn't get to see him. I didn't get to talk to him on the phone. It was, it was a lot of stuff that happened really quick and, um, I wanted to do something and something happened. Now, was that something just my head? Was it just me? Maybe, probably. Does that make it any less legitimate than if it were actually the, the disembodied spirit entity of my buddy? i don't think so i i think that at the end of the day what matters is that i have that experience that's kind of how i feel about magic in general right or the paranormal in general
1: right. it makes sense because i mean i think what you're talking about there when um yeah it's all in your head and uh you were talking about la milo duquette's uh, saying there that yeah there almost seems to be like you know that's the whole idea of the altered state of consciousness. I mean, you know, that that could be where you're you are experiencing that in your in your head, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not real.
3: Yeah, and I think that that night, that was absolutely an altered state of consciousness. I also could not stop smiling the entire time I was smiling, and I just remember that very vividly because it was sure. like, you know, as soon as I felt that presence or that communication, I just I just started smiling.
1: Let's talk a little bit about sigils. Sure. And we'll kind of go into the sigil arcanum tarot as well here. But uh, yeah. you talk about sigils and you talk about how like you use them. So like, how do you use these, make them? I mean, is there a particular uh, process that you go through?
3: Uh, there used to be. Um so a sigil is pretty much anything, right? It's, you know, you could you could make an argument that a sigil is nearly anything. The way that I like to look at them especially is line art. I like to think about them as being combinations of letters into images or um, pictorial representations of things, or, um, you know, even things like planetary camias or whatever, right? Like, turning lines into something meaningful but a sigil could be anything you know I mean it could be it could be something drawn in the sand it could be um, you know a sculpture or uh, really any type of art that you make depending on how you make it and what kind of meaning you imbue into it could become a sigil um, something like um, the invisibles I think is, is often described as a hyper sigil that mm-hmm. that whole graphic novel is itself a sigil and really, a series of sigils, but you know that kind of begs the question: Well, what what is a sigil, right? Because it's it's not this, it's not that, it's a whole bunch of different things. So the way I look at it is sort of like being a word in a language, right? Like you have you have a thing, one thing, and if that word is banana, I say that, and you immediately think about a banana, right? Right. right. That word essentially becomes a stand-in for that idea, but it is not the idea, right? It's not directly the idea, but it may as well be. You know what I mean. And same as the 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 two dimensional image of a banana. If you see that on a, a you know a, a screen, a little yellow crescent, you know immediately that that's that fruit, right? Even if that is just pixels on a screen. So when I make sigils. I like to make them in a little more interpretive kind of way. I, I, um, there's this book um, by Laura Tempest Zakrov. It's called Sigil uh, Witchery. And Sigil Witchery talks about all the various ways you can make sigils, and especially using um, symbolic iconography. So taking an idea and kind of distilling it down into an object or something that you can turn into a very simple symbol or, or icon. And combining those things into sort of a composite sigil. So that's essentially what the sigil arcanum is. is What I did was I I took the way that I understand the Toth tarot and the symbols that are in it and distilled those into icons that I can relate together and then combined them into composite sigils. Um, So when I do it for my magical practice, um, usually I actually, when I do my, with my magical practice, I'll often use the sort of like Austin Osman spare method of combining letters. Uh, but I do it a little bit differently. I don't necessarily lop out the du- duplicates and I don't necessarily lop out the vowels. Um, so most of the time I'll take out duplicates, but I usually leave the vowels in there. But, um, do you guys know about that method of making sigils?
1: not aware of it i mean of course i'm aware of austin osmond spare but i'm not aware of any of his techniques or anything like that
3: sure i think i've heard it called like the alphabet of desire or something like that too but Uh basically the the way that i look at it is as being um let's say you take a a a sentence or a phrase like i will get rich well it's just as an example and then you you write that down you lop out all the duplicate letters and all the vowels and you're left with um you know a, a series of letters uh, w l g t r c h or whatever right and you take those letters and you sort of draw them in such a way that it abstracts what they are into something new so you're you're basically creating um one image that's made up of all those letters. And the reason you take out the duplicates and the vowels is really just to simplify the amount of letters you have, because the more letters you have, the more complicated this gets and it can end up looking kind of jumbled. Sure. But that's a really easy way to do sigils, especially if you aren't comfortable with like drawing in general, because essentially you're just drawing letters. Um, So that's, that's a really common way.
1: Okay. So this is something that you want to make, you kind of want to make a manifest in your life, and you are writing it down, but you're kind of writing it in a stylistical
3: kind of way. Okay. It can be. um, You know, it, yes, it certainly can be. Was it. Oh gosh. I listen to so many podcasts, I get things confused. In the podcast you guys did with Chris Corey, were you talking about the art that people do and some of these? Images being like stick figures?
1: Uh, I don't think
3: so. I don't remember. When like you know, in a grimoire of demons, they have just little stick figures representing. Gosh, I can't remember if that was you guys or not. Anyway, the, my, my point really is just that. I know how you feel. I listen
1: to a lot of podcasts too. So.
3: <laughs> the artistic quality of it doesn't matter so much as the meaning that's drilled into it. Um, <clears throat> you know, it could look like crap. But as long as it, like, for instance, has those letters, or as long as, to me, it has the meaning, that's all that really matters um, for a sigil.
2: And that might be better to to break things down into a, a simpler form.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you are artistically inclined, you can get very creative with these things. And you can do things like make an entire graphic novel series or a movie right? Or, um, you know, a giant painting or a tarot deck or whatever, right? Like you can, you can turn these things into something more. Um, but they don't have to be that, right? They can be something as simple as one line or two lines, you know, scrawled onto a bathroom door or, um, what I'll often do is I write them on sticky notes and then I burn them because uh, sticky notes are just easy. You just grab them. You can stick them places if you need to, and then you can just burn them really quick.
2: So essentially you're, you're turning your desires into an abstraction and then employing that abstraction somehow to change reality or to achieve that, that desire.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, (laughs) I mean, who really knows how it works, but, or whether it works, but yeah, the, the idea is you take that, idea you know your sentence your wish your um, intention whatever it is that you want to manifest into your life you write it down you draw it as a sigil um, and then you you employ that like you said sort of into your subconscious um, you you make that a part of your life in a way that's not direct anymore um, i think that that's kind of a big key to it but i'm not willing to say that that's necessarily a hundred percent of it because I, I think that you can do it um while still having these things as a conscious part of your life but they seem to work better if you can get rid of them if you can make the thing understand what it means and then burn it or tear it up and throw it away or give it to somebody or whatever you know that seems to activate them a little little better so
1: could you give us an example of something like in your own like practice of sigil magic or something that has worked for you
3: yes there's one particular example that I have in mind that I'd like to share, but you um... well,
2: can be very vague if if you'd like. Uh, if not, if you know uh, of someone else who has done something who who you know has been public about it,
3: sure. I apologize. I, I really want to share this story, but I don't know if it's yeah, um... that's okay.
2: If it you know if it's too special to you, also uh, I totally I totally understand. I don't I don't talk much about this kind of stuff either.
3: Okay, let me, let me put it this way. Um, I know a person who created a sigil um, with an intention that worked so well, uh, it ended up killing somebody. Mm. Um, so long story short, there's a bookstore that, that I work at, and um, there was this person uh, living next door who was being very disruptive in many ways. He was smoking cigarettes and playing music super loud and smoking cigarettes indoors, by the way, not just randomly outside, but in such a way that the the smoke was getting into our store, the, um, uh, the music he was playing was kind of like leaking through the walls. He was being very aggressive. He would come into the store and yell at customers and yell at the employees. And a couple of the employees ended up um, doing some stuff to um, take care of him. And one of the things was a sigil that was intended to, um, turn his life upside down, I think was the, the actual phrase, um, that was used and that, that sigil was made. It was, um, it was, I guess you'd say activated. Uh, and then a couple other things were done on top of that by various different people. Um, you know, some people contacted spirits, some people, um, <laughs> summoned a demon, you know, whatever there was, there was different stuff that was going on. And one day I came into work and, uh, the hallway smelled like something was burning. And so I said, what, what is that? Is that smoke? And my manager turns to me and says, oh, you didn't hear? And I said, no, hear what? And he said, oh. Um, some kids tried to burn down the building. So what happened was this guy had tenants who were living with him. Um, this, this guy who was causing trouble, he, he was renting out to some like college age kids and he had multiple felonies. He had a a lot of issues and I think he had stopped paying his rent. And so he was getting evicted. And, um, we think we don't know this for sure, but we think that he, told his tenants that they were also getting evicted and so they decided to uh beat him to death um <laughs> the i don't want to laugh about this but it it's kind of a ridiculous situation um the the police report said that he died from complications due to homicidal violence
1: interesting way to skirt around it you know that's
3: yeah. We we took it to mean he was basically punched to death. Sure. And then they decided to try to light his body on fire in the basement of the building. Um Ew. Now, nice. the, yeah, the the unfortunate part about this is that we share the building. Uh, it's, it's one connected building. So luckily the fire department showed up and put out the fire um, and was able to get that all, all under control. And then we just had to deal with the smell of smoke for a little while. Um, but it was just very creepy. It was, it was a very intense situation and we were all kind of left, you know, us employees left there sort of wondering, like, did what we did have anything to do with this, you know, or was it just that this guy was a terrible person and he made decisions that resulted in some people making other decisions? You know, it's like, it's, it's impossible to tell.
2: Well, like you've said before too, um, if you're pushing something over the edge, you know, if something is already likely to happen, or or you have situations that your magic can just um, be that extra push
1: that's required. You know, especially somebody that's already on a self destructive path, which he sounds like he was on anyway.
3: Yes, absolutely. And you know, it, it's a very complicated situation. I don't I don't know how to feel about it um, exactly. I was I was very um, torn about it for a very long time, right, but at the end of the right. day. I did not cause that man's death. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, nothing I did or anything my coworkers did directly caused that man to die. He made the decisions he made, and other people made the decisions they made and killed him. But, anyway. it's (laughs) So, anyway, that's that's one very specific example. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: mean, it kind of sounds like the guy lived a very precarious existence. Yes. So... Something was probably going to happen, and it seemed like he was probably pissing a lot of people off. Yep. Including the magicians that worked at the bookstore.
3: <laughs> Not a good idea. Never a good idea. <laughs> Don't fuck with witches.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was it was going to come, it might have come sooner or later anyway. It's a very possibility.
3: Yeah, and we'll never uh, know. That's kind of, right, you know. Right, right, right
1: once again, you know, you got the the cause and effect, you know, what was the cause? What was the real real cause? What was the real effect?
3: Yeah. And as far as other things, um, much less dramatic things, I've done sigils that have worked for things like, um, my mom was in a court case where she, she had been T boned by a car and, um, Minnesota is a no fault state. And so this person was claiming no fault, even though she ran a red light, uh, and hit my mom. Um, and so my mom kind of wanted to, make sure that um, she would get out of this court case uh, in the right. So I did some work. Uh, I actually ended up doing a, I do a lot of sigils on candles because you can just melt candles and they go away. Um, okay. And I did a sigil to um, basically make sure that this other woman was held accountable a hundred percent. And my mom had basically said that their lawyers were, were expecting maybe 30% um, that this woman would have to pay, my mom's medical bills, like 30% of them or, or whatever turned out that they ended up having to pay a hundred percent of the medical bills. And I think also the lawyer fees, um, something like that. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, a whole thing. Um, so that, uh, I've helped people find new houses, a uh, new car. Um, I think at some point helped a friend with a relationship. I don't remember if it was getting into a relationship or getting out of one though. Uh, but I've, I've, I often find that a lot of this stuff works better when you're doing it for other people um mm, than for yourself, yeah, interesting, right,
1: yeah,
2: just like you've said how um getting a desire outside of yourself in the form of a sigil and then burning it or trying to trying to forget about it mm-hmm. um works like it seems a lot of times like there's a kind of inverse relationship with desire and trying to hang on to something an obsession that you know actually seems to make things further away but it's like if you if you have this like the more disinterested you are often or the more you don't think about things the easier things are so if you're doing something for someone else you you have a certain amount of detachment that may make it even more effective
3: exactly because you're already removed from it and yeah exactly
2: because that's really what a lot of the, just this, this uh, sigilization i guess you would call it seems to be about is getting things outside of yourself first like that's the first step
3: mm-hmm. and i think that that's the same with a lot of magic you know whether you're doing ceremony or you're making spells or you know whatever hoodoo kind of stuff ultimately what you're doing is is working something with an intention. And that could be drawing a sigil. It could be mixing herbs and burning them. It could be, um, you know, carving something on a candle. Uh, even if it's just words on a candle. All that stuff, I feel like, are essentially the same as sigils. If that makes sense.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, it th- yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. So, you have come up with your own uh, tarot deck. Yes. And uh, that is um, the... Uh, Sigil Arcanum? Yep. Tarot deck? So t- t- tell us a little bit about that. What made you want to kind of start your own do your own uh, tarot deck and how exactly this this works?
3: Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. I'm looking at it right now, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, SigilArcanum.com yeah, anybody can look at all the cards if you want to. Um, so yeah, I, I think ultimately that it came about so it was one winter I was over at a game uh, convention or a game conference with a couple of my friends. We were making board games and card games at the time. And this, um, this game maker convention uh, had a bunch of uh, free materials and uh, cards. Blank cards was a huge part of that. So there were just stacks and stacks and stacks of blank cards. So I took like a hundred of them because I wanted to use them for a zombie survival game, I think. And, when I got home, I just kind of put them on the, on the counter or on the desk and didn't really think much about them. Um, a couple weeks passed and I had done this, uh, ceremonial initiation, um, called the headless, right, which is a pretty popular one in, in, um, the PGM style magic. Um, I did a version of it that's called Libra Samek, uh, which is from, um, I think, basically modified by Alistair Crowley or whatever. I just, I got that from a coworker of mine. He said, here, do this and wrote it down for me. And so I did that. Uh, And the reason I did it and sort of my main intention behind it was to make contact with and establish a relationship with the goddess Um, Ultimately my goal was just to meet Hikate, And it was almost immediately after this, I just kind of got the idea to make a tarot deck. It was uh I started sort of making flash cards um for the symbols in the Toth because I was learning the Toth Tarot, which are you guys familiar with the Toth or the Thoth or Thoth or Toth or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's that's the deck that Lady frida Harris painted, uh commissioned by Alistair Crowley. Very, very good deck. It's it's one of my favorites. Um it's very symbolic, and one of the key things about that deck is that every card um, has symbols associated with it—planetary um, symbols, zodiacal symbols, elements, um, alchemical symbols, philosophical symbols—all these symbols, right? As opposed to the Rider-Waite, which is all people. You know, it's all—it's all these people in very um, particular situations, which is hard to sigilize. So I was learning the Toth, and the way that I was taking notes was by writing down these sigils. So I would, you know, I would draw the moon on the high priestess card. And then I would draw a, you know, a, a, a crown representing um, the goddess Isis or uh, a flower representing life, you know, or all, all these different kind of symbols that I was associating with the card. I also used Robert places, alchemical tarot for a lot of those symbols because his take on it is very interesting too. It's, it's not the top. It's more, Related to the Rider weight, but it's a very interesting kind of sigilist take on um, tarot. And so, I made these flashcards for the majors, and I think it was by the time I got to the Tower, I had drawn a little box, a little tower, and I just liked the way it looked. Um, it was a little longer on one side than the other. Uh, for like the bottom of it, didn't touch the ground. It was sort of a slanted look. And I thought, you know what, I could probably do this in Adobe Illustrator. Uh, I, I've been a graphic designer for ten years at that point, so you know, I thought, let's give it a shot. And I did it. And I think the whole deck came out in about a day, and then over the course of three years, it changed dramatically. But I had I had all the cards done and on the computer in about I think twenty four or forty eight hours. So I blame Hikate. <laughs>
1: Well, I gotta ask I gotta ask about that. I gotta ask ask about Akate. I don't know if you've uh are you familiar with Walter Bosley's work? I mean, if you've listened to this show, you probably heard him on yeah. here many, many times. I mean that Akate is uh very central to some of his material. Yep. And uh so what made you want to I guess get in touch with the goddess Akate,
3: the ulkatonic deity? <laughs> um I've always been a fan of darker stuff. Uh, she's the goddess of witchcraft, um, the crossroads, right. magic, um, you know, dogs. I like dogs. It was a lot of a lot of those symbols just kind of lined up with my interests. And working at Eye of Horus at the time I was exposed to other people who were, were working other people who were working with Hecate and other people mm-hmm. who knew about this goddess. Um, at the time Uh, my, so coming out of this very materialist atheist perspective, which I really, even as I was practicing magic, I still didn't, you know, abandon, um, for a very long time. And, and I had this sort of thing that I was clinging on to, which maybe sometimes I still do, which is I don't believe in anything. Right. And so I couldn't believe in any deities. I couldn't believe in a God or a goddess. Right. I don't believe in anything. So... (laughs) I'm a Nihilist Lebowski. So um, <laughs> ultimately, I I decided to give it a shot. I said, okay, screw it. I'm going to try to believe in something. And what's that something going to be? Two things, alchemy and Hekate. And I just kind of ran with those symbols, those, those ideas. And uh, they've treated me good so far.
1: Did you have any kind of encounters with her, with this deity?
3: Yeah, uh, I have encountered her... Oh gosh! There are two major times that that pop out in my head um probably more i have I've had some minor things um uh, but the two major ones um first one was a dream that I had that was i was like in this massive library that was like this old um huge wooden mansion like this this beautiful victorian um sprawling mansion and it was a library and I, I was leaving, went out the back door. There's a parking lot. Cause you know, I guess every good mansion has a parking lot behind it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and this parking lot, you know, just plain concrete parking lot, uh, looking out onto, um, uh, a line of pine trees, uh, very secluded, very like backwoods sort of a feel. And the sky was the most beautiful, like mauve, golden sunset that I've ever seen. Uh, and I could see the sun. It was it was still hanging there in the air above, above the trees. Um, I saw the sun and I saw the moon too. I saw a full moon kind of to the right a little ways. And I remember being kind of amazed at this and um, noticing that the clouds were parting to the left of the sun and a second sun appeared. And I watched as that second sun kind of dropped down and sort of swung around to where the moon was. And the first sun moved to take its position and they just sort of like everything changed in the sky. The, the, the sun became the moon and, you know, um, yada, 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 very astronomical, very astrological, very weird. Um, and I'm sitting there going, wow, that was crazy. I don't know what that means, but it was crazy. And then I decided to, to turn around and go back into the library. And as I did that, there was a corpse on the ground in the threshold of the door to the library. And this corpse was a woman, um, an older woman, uh, a very desiccated corpse, very, um, yeah, desiccated is probably the best word, very dried and... Um, Spooky looking, I guess you could say. Uh, Wearing a white dress, sort of a a nice, but also kind of tattered white dress. Very long black hair. Um, She was laying on her back, facing up. Her eyes were shining gold or orange. uh, Very bright lights. And her mouth was stretched open to about seven or eight inches. And inside her open mouth was like this pool of like silver liquid. Kind of like, I think about like the, the pensive in Harry Potter. So it's like, At the time, my my mind said, oh, those are souls. That's what that is. So I saw this. I saw this woman, this dead woman laying on the ground. And again, in my dream, I went, wow, that's amazing. Don't know what it is, but that's amazing. I woke up and my first thought was, that was Hecate. And my second thought was, that was horrifying. (laughs) And uh, that was that experience. I don't know why I thought it was Hecate, but I did. Um, and to this day, it feels very much like that's who that was. The second experience was a little more direct and a lot more alive. I was dreaming again. Uh, I had had this long, complicated series of dreams about, um, (laughs) preparing to go to a New Year's Eve party. This was in January. So New Year's had, you know, come and gone. And eventually I wake up probably around six in the morning um, after never actually getting to this New Year's Eve party. So I'm like, Oh, whatever. All right. Let me go back to bed. Cause it's six in the morning. I go back to bed and all of a sudden the New Year's Eve party is over and everybody's leaving and, and we're all saying goodbye and happy new year. And everyone's leaving and walking away. And, um, as everybody's walking away, I turn. this is happening by the way, like on a street corner in a neighborhood. So sidewalks, you know, asphalt road, um, trees, you know, white picket fences, houses, that kind of stuff. And I turn and I look down the sidewalk and there's a woman walking towards me. And she's maybe in her late thirties, um, pale white skin, um, black, like raven, black hair, white dress, and these like, just piercing black eyes. Like not, not like black eyed kid kind of black, but like, you know, just, just black colored irises on normal eyes. Um, (laughs) and, uh, she walks straight up to me and, uh, like just making eye contact the entire time and comes up to me and basically like forced herself on me standing there in the middle of the street. And, and, you know, suddenly, uh, there's penetration involved and I'm very confused. I'm very taken aback. Uh, and she puts her hands over my ears And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I start taking her hands off my ears. And I remember one of the biggest things I remember about this dream is I could feel her hands. I could feel the skin on the bones in her fingers very vividly. This, for all intents and purposes, this was a real woman. And and I, I took her hands off my ears. But I noticed as I did that, I noticed that with her hands on my ears, I could hear exactly what she was saying to me. And when I took them away, it was silent again. So... I put her hands back on my ears and I could hear her again. And she, she talked to me and I cannot for the life of me remember what she said, but she was saying things to me in English. She was asking me to do things and I was agreeing to them. And, and she was um, saying all these very grandiose things. And then she, her voice changed and she wasn't speaking English anymore. And there was a second voice kind of overlapping it. That was definitely not English. That was some kind of chthonic alien voice. It was deep and, and, you know, Cthulian and strange. Right. And it was, it was all this stuff that I don't remember specifically. And I woke up and I, immediately wanted to get back there. So I tried and I couldn't find her. I just, uh, I got back to that neighborhood, found, uh, you know, in my dream, I found the sidewalks. I found the, the you know, suburb, but uh, no woman. <laughs> found an old man working on a car, found some crows in the ground, but uh, no woman. So I woke up again and, um, and I thought, I think that was Zikate. And hmm. I can't remember what she said. And then I remembered one thing that she said, and this has bugged me ever since I remembered it. The one thing I remember her saying is, you are my apotheosis. And I don't know what that means. And I'm very nervous about what it could mean because a part of me is very cautious about any time a spirit or even an imagination um, starts trying to make a person feel like they're more important. You know what I mean? It's a very strange thing to say, especially if that was really a goddess. It's a very strange thing to say to a mortal that that so I I didn't know what apotheosis meant at the time, but I looked it up. Basically what it means is a mortal becoming divine, right? But she's already divine, okay? So that doesn't that doesn't make any sense, right? It's the opposite. It's the opposite of an apotheosis, right? So, I was very confused. Still am very confused. Um that's all I got. I don't. I don't know. I don't know either of those situations beyond what happened. That's all I remember. Wow. Yeah, that's
2: amazing. <laughs> that,
1: that is that is an amazing dream. Yeah.
3: The beautiful thing is, I wrote both those dreams down at the time.
2: That's good. Do you right. do you keep like a a dream journal? Yes i know you've got to have some occult bookstore stories i mean i've got so many stories just from working in record stores in my college years uh you've you've got to have had some strange experiences or or uh characters mm-hmm. who came through maybe regular fixtures of the stores things like that do you have any anything like that you want to share? Oh yeah <laughs>
3: Um, my favorite time was, uh, this, this dude who comes in who, you know, I I don't want to necessarily judge people, but he, he had a look about him. He was, you know, um, bald white guy, tons of tattoos, tons of piercings, but not in like a punk kind of way, more of like a skinhead kind of way. Um, and, uh, so he, he comes in and he's talking to me about herbs and talking about, you know, Satan and, and (laughs) all this stuff. And I just remember he like looked at me with these, like, intense, wide open blue eyes. And he, and he said, uh, what did he say? It was something like, um, I can, uh, I can make a pact with the devil for you. Hey. And I said, um, I'm probably okay. And he said, no, seriously, all I need is $50 and a catalyst. And I'm like, um, I'm good. <laughs> I don't, I don't need that. He was dead serious about it though. And, uh, I never saw him again. <laughs> um, One time I had a guy come in who was an older dude, um, also a white guy, with uh, medium length gray hair, very um, kind of disheveled looking. Um, I don't know if he was necessarily homeless, but he had uh, that sort of look about him. And he was saying all kinds of things about how the owners of the store were part of his, like he used to be part of their coven or there was some thing going on between them, some bad blood and feud. And he said that it was um, the only way that I could stop it was by um, accepting this gift of his hair. And he reached out his hand and tried to give me a clump of his hair. And I said, no, thank you. And then he started telling me that he was the goddess Kali. Okay. And I ushered him out of the door. Um, <laughs> those are a couple of my uh, my favorite um, wackadoo stories.
2: Did you notice, uh, like, over a period of how many years did you work in this these stores?
3: Uh, total, I've been working in the occult bookshops for four years. It was about a, a month after I I did that magic ritual um, from Charm the Water, and then I've just been doing it ever since. Have you
2: seen any change in the um, in the customers or any like change? You feel like in the broader culture, do you do you think we're kind of in the midst of a of an occult revival? I know that's a little uh, cliche to say, and it seems like someone says that every generation. But
3: um... oh, absolutely. I, I, A hundred percent. And I, I, I'm almost certain the reason that I feel that way is because I work in those stores, Mm -hmm. but yes, uh, I have seen so many, um, you could say like mundane people come in that are interested, that are like genuinely, um, curious about, you know, magic or spellcraft or witchcraft or, or just spirituality in general, you know, even like people come in interested in Buddhism or interested in like finding out more about their Roots, you know, because they're they were raised Christian, but they're actually from you know, like their families from Sweden, so they're interested in you know, understanding like more about Norse paganism mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely think we're we're in the heat of something like that. Um, yeah.
2: What would you suspect is is the reason for that?
3: Uh, I like to think that it's because our um, our system is breaking down. You know, it, it seems I don't have any sources for this, but I've heard over and over again that in countries where like the economic system and the government starts to break down, people start re- re- reverting back to "quote unquote" the uh, the old ways, you know, or superstitions or spirituality. I think that part of it is is that um, that that our system is failing the people. Um, I think a big part of it is this idea that we are transitioning into some kind of a quote unquote new age, or I think honestly, we're always transitioning into new ages. That's sort of how time happens. Um, But I think it's just about generations reclaiming what has been lost and challenging the status quo and, and figuring out ways to empower themselves. Did you want to hear my UFO stories? Yes. Yeah, please. Okay. Um, So there's three, I'll, I'll try to keep them fairly brief um <clears throat> no need okay well the first one i was out delivering pizzas and i was in between deliveries and um right, right sitting on. outside <laughs> what's that right i said right on and um i'm out uh smoking a cigarette waiting for you know orders to come in and i'm looking up at the sky and i'm uh, tracing satellites uh, i think i talked about this in the mystery episode of my my podcast but um Long story short, I see a satellite that all of a sudden stops in in midair and starts to do something weird. Uh, there was a white flash. Uh, it started interacting with a nearby star. It looked like it was like it was like some kind of a beam of of blue light was transmitting between the star and this satellite that stopped. Um, that lasted for a few seconds, and then there was another flash, and this thing sped off and into a, like it curved and went up um, in a different direction. So that was pretty weird. That was the first thing I saw. I am about 90% sure that I saw it and didn't make it up. Um, 10% unsure because you never know. Uh, and I have no idea what it was. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident it had nothing to do with aliens. I think it was probably some kind of just natural light phenomena or some kind of a, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, Second time I was driving home from, a, uh, from a party and actually was driving to another party and I see two red lights sort of over Prince's house of all places. And, uh, they're like pretty high up in the sky above the trees. Um, they're just like two side-by-side red or orange lights. And I watch as they both kind of dip down, like they both shoot down super fast. They were, they were totally stationary. And then next thing you know, they're and they're both gone. Behind the trees. Um, so, those were the two things I had seen. Um, those happened within about six months of each other, and ever since then, I've been like, "Man, I want to see something else." You know, I want to see something closer. I want to see something that's more definitive than some dumb lights in the sky. Not not that I don't greatly appreciate these two scenarios, because I do. I, I you know, I'm very grateful that I experienced these things, regardless of what they are. About two weeks ago, I saw something else, um, that I am very confused about. Uh, I was driving out West, um, into Chanhassen, taking a loop around the freeway. And as I'm coming down the loop and about to go under the bridge over the bridge, I see this shape and it, it looked like the closest thing my brain could, could say it looked like at the time was if you tick take like a, a fighter jet and, um, you flip it 90 degrees. So it's totally on its side. Right. And I was seeing the backside of it, except it wasn't symmetrical. And where there were wings, those were totally folded at 90 degree angles. So it was like this, this weird boxy object that was multiple different shades of gray. It was multiple different segments and chunks. It was definitely three-dimensional. I see this above the bridge as I'm, as I'm passing down there and I I drive under the bridge, it disappears, you know, I I don't see it anymore. And then I, I come out of the other side of the bridge and I can still see it right where it was. If this thing was a plane, if this thing was a jet, it was a hundred percent, definitely crashing. There is absolutely no way any kind of aircraft could be where that thing was in the position it was and not be actively crashing. It was literally in between a freeway and like three like skyscrapers, not skyscrapers, but like like high rise apartment buildings, um, office buildings and stuff. No idea what that was. I'm looking at it. I look away at the at the road. I look back at it. Back at the road. Back at it. Back at the road. Back at it a fourth time, and it's gone. It's just completely gone. Wow.
1: Yeah, you never know what what is
3: going on there.
2: Was there any kind of um, occult activity surrounding that?
3: In my own life, yeah. Uh no, nothing that I can think of. Things have been kind of quiet on that front lately.
2: Well, we all need a we all need a break,
3: <laughs> right? I've been I've been working on uh, learning um, IT stuff, so I've been spending a lot of time on the internet.
2: That's a, I think that's pretty important. If you even if you just have like a some paranormal interests, even if you're just interested in UFOs. To uh, balance other things in your life, because uh, we all know mm-hmm. some people who, um, you know, when you make it 100% of your time, it can really drive you off the deep end.
3: Yep, definitely.
2: What do you have in the works? Uh, what, what are you working on with the, uh, with the publishing, or are you working on any other writings, blogs, besides your podcast?
3: Yeah, um... So yes, I'm, I'm working on the podcast. I'm I'm making new episodes of that. Um, that's going to be bi-weekly. So every, every two weeks, something's going to come out. I just wrote an article that'll be showing up in the Arnamancy blog, which is hosted by Eric Arneson sometime in August. Um, so look forward to that. If, if anybody out there knows Arnamancy, it's a, it's a little article about sigils, um, going to be continuing to blog on greenlinepublishing.com. And despite my better judgment, I'm also building an Oracle deck. Cool. Yeah. But in the meantime, I've been working a lot on um, learning IT stuff, learning InfoSec stuff, getting into that world. So things have been kind of slow on the creative front and on the paranormal front lately. But um, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, tell us where you can find all your, like your
1: material. Is it all on the, on the website or is there anything else that is somewhere in, else?
3: Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So the podcast, you can find on uh, greenlinepublishing.com or I think it's greenlinepodcast.sounder.fm or you can just search it in whatever Apple podcasts, Stitcher, whatever. Um, the tarot deck is com, or you can search for it sigilarchonum on Kickstarter. And just because those are weird words, I will spell them. S-I-G-I-L-A-R-C-A-N-U-M dot com. Oh, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, A-E-T-T-I-C.
1: All right, Taylor, this has been excellent, man. Stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out. Guys, we'll be back to close out the show on Conspiranormal. Back to Conspiratorial, everybody. That uh, was a very interesting interview with uh, Mr. Taylor Bell, who uh, talked about sigils and the tarot and all kinds of interesting uh, interesting stuff. So, your thoughts on that uh, episode, Turveo?
2: Yeah, just uh, getting a, another perspective from a practitioner. Um, You know, he said that uh, he is attracted to and resonates with a lot of these uh, different magical systems, but isn't a uh, stickler or dogmatic to any particular one. He wants to work with things that, uh, experiment with things that work. So he had a pretty cool perspective and uh, some good experience and stories from working at magic and uh cold bookstores i always wondered what what that would be like i figured that would have to it'd have to be a lot of stories
1: yeah yeah very much so um yeah i was pretty impressed he's a younger guy but then trying to just getting his feet wet with uh his podcast and uh with uh kind of like his magical workings and stuff like that and uh you know great to talk to him uh, check out his podcast, guys, uh, Green Lion podcast, That You can find out on any, I believe, anywhere that uh, there are podcasts. And also um, his website, which is uh, Green Lion. I believe it's GreenLionPublishing.com. So um, check those out. So guys, we are um, gearing up now for the Strange Realities Conference coming up here in October 15th through the 17th in Nashville, Tennessee.
2: Getting really excited, and I'm sure everyone's seen that that lineup is really something, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it, it really is. And if you guys have not seen the the picture, you can go to uh, Conspiranormal Normal uh, Facebook page, and you can see it there. And uh, everything is going to be up on the website very, very soon um, as well. And uh, so so check that out, strangerealitiesconference.com. dot com. And tickets are right now seventy dollars for in person, and $30 for the online event, so uh, please come check that out.
2: Yeah, we can't wait to get back together, and just like the last two years, I mean, this is really a, um, this really shows what conspira normal is all about, We've really got a good cross-section of, uh, of subjects, and weird history, and, and hauntings mixed with uh, occult. Weirdness, high strangeness, UFOs, um, it's its all there.
1: Right, exactly. So, uh, again, that's com. Also, uh, we have our Patreon, um, and uh, Taylor actually is, as we mentioned before, is a Patreon, and Sir Fiel can tell you where to find that.
2: You can join us at com slash Conspiranormal. Uh, $5 gets you a bonus episode every week. Uh, like the one that we released uh, this week with uh, me and Chris Corey testing our Starseed pedigrees. Yes. The International Association of Conspiranormalists gets you into that. The $10 level, you get to see a presentation every month at the Mystic Crew Ball. Uh, The last one was from Chris Ernst and was very cool about uh, the religious group he grew up in uh, they talked about it on our show but he went more in depth as to like where it where it came from and some of the um, uh, some of the elements of that dealing with like holy people and people who would be traditionally considered uh, mad or insane in, in our society so really cool cutting edge research um, in the mystic crew and at the $20 level the ancient circle of strange realities and you're going to get a special mystical experience at the strange realities conference if you belong to that
1: alright guys uh, I think that's it uh, join us next week we're going to talk about some interesting and some real dark stuff on
0: Conspiranormal Normal. Please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast.